Hey everybody, it's me, Josh, and this Saturday for SYSK Selects, I chose Is Stockholm Syndrome Real? It originally ran in November of 2012, and it's got it all. Mostly kidnapping, but it's some other stuff as well. It's just one of my all-time favorite episodes, so check it out. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Uh, with me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And uh, I'm still sick. I'm sorry about that. Like, this is this is actually me with my nose blown recently. I, I think at this point, we could uh, recommend to listeners who typically listen with earbuds or headphones, maybe give this one a try just in your car speakers. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. Yeah, Jerry was like, dude, have you heard this through headphones? <laughs> Did you listen to it? No, not yet, but uh, we don't li- wear headphones here, which is odd for audio recording. Yeah. A lot of people like hearing headphones right in their ear. I don't like that. I don't either. We're told we're the only ones here who don't do that. Hey. We're trailblazers. Maybe that's the secret. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chuckers. Yes. Have you ever been kidnapped? Uh, not in, a, in the strictest of senses. I have been kidnapped in the fun church youth group way oh for like diabetes or something yeah like, like when someone comes back and kidnaps you for a cause <laughs> right <laughs> you know yeah which is an odd thing to do i always felt kind of left out because no one ever kidnapped me for any cause oh yeah yeah oh well maybe I, i'll do that one day I, <laughs> just get the crap out of you break into your house with yeah. the ski mask on duct tape um i'd probably recognize you by your clothes you can yeah, wear a ski true. mask and be like and my smell what are you like, doing <laughs> yeah I know that kidnapper. (laughs) I know that beef stew smell anyway. (laughs) Um, It's a good thing that you were kidnapped just for a cause because there's a very low likelihood that you would have suffered from what's known as Stockholm Syndrome from being held uh, basically ransom until you raised X number of dollars for the Juvenile Diabetes Foundation. Right. Um, There are a lot of cases, a surprising amount of cases, even in the statistics that are used to poo-poo the concept of Stockholm Syndrome or its prevalence. Right. It's still a surprising amount of cases of people who are abducted, um, people who are held in like sla- as slaves or hostages. Yeah, it's not like a ransom deal. It's just, I'm going to take you now and put you in my cellar for 15 years. That's... That, Depending, yeah. it depends on how you look at it. But yeah, and it depends on the factors involved. But there, there is a weird phenomenon that we do not yet have fully pinned down. Yet even that toy dinosaur can tell you what it is, <laughs> and it's called Stockholm syndrome. That's right. Uh, and it's got a pretty it's 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 a crazy thing because it's a psychological disorder that almost no one ever will endure. Yeah. Um, the press loves it. So they sure. talk about it all the time. Yeah. And it has an awesome backstory. So basically it has everything there yeah. for everyone to just overestimate the prevalence of it. Yeah, I think the press loves it because it's, A, it has the like the name and, like yeah. you said, the cool backstory. But it, I, I don't agree. But to the press, I think they think it's just like, how could anyone ever feel for their captor it's so remarkable that this happens yeah but when i read this article i'm kind of like i I get it a little bit in some cases and and like especially in this day and age after so many incidents of it being reported and covered in like us and people and time and whatever um 
it's it almost comes off as disingenuous where the press is the tabloid press particular is like how could how could this person yeah you know identify it's definitely with their sensational and not like uh empathetic it seems like but that's the point though i mean i guess we should probably define what stockholm syndrome is for that one person who doesn't know yeah it's well when you're uh, held captive for some period of time and you end up um and it's actually not always being held captive because they said in battered spouse cases yeah or slave master relationship, um, you end up feeling empathy and identifying somewhat with your captor. Yeah. Destructive cults are another one. Yeah. Uh, And I would advise uh, everybody to go listen to the brainwashing episode. And if you've already heard it, a lot of this stuff's going to sound kind of familiar because the two share a lot of uh, common traits. Very true. Um, There are some some specific traits to Stockholm Syndrome, some factors that that psychology generally agrees have to be present for somebody to develop Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Um, But let's talk about where this came from. You want to? Sure. The first, the 73. I wonder what they called it before this. Um, I saw two other names for it, but I don't know if they predated Stockholm Syndrome. Let's Um, hear it. Terror bonding and uh, trauma bonding. Terror bonding seems or like traumatic a, bonding. a new kind of phrase. It seems like a traumatic bonding was the other one. That's the no frills, that. like, we're not sensationalizing here. This is the real deal. Well, it came from a uh, bank robbery in 1973 in Stockholm, <laughs> Sweden. <laughs> and uh, this article actually has it wrong. It says two men entered the bank. Yeah. It was actually just one dude, yeah. Olsen, entered the bank. Uh, cops showed up for this bank robbery. Shootout happens injures some cops, he takes some hostages, and then he demands that his buddy, Olafsson, who I think just got out of jail. No, he was in jail, I thought. Oh, he was in jail? Yeah. And they freed him and sent him to this bank. Yeah. And I guess was like, thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a gun. Yeah. <laughs> I guess You're so. now in a hostage standoff with him. And he was kind of a career criminal, so I doubt if he was like, well, great. Now I'm out of, I was two months from being let out. Right. Now here I am holding people hostage. Yeah. Um, he sort of looked, the second guy I thought looked a little bit like Koresh. Oh, really? Yeah, a little bit. Which one, Olsen or Erickson? Because Olsen... Olafsson. Okay. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Olsen or Olafsson. Yeah. Olsen looks kind of like Charlie Manson a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah. then again, 1973, everybody looked like <laughs> Charlie true. Manson, you know? So what happens in this case is, um, it's a, it's a standoff. There's a, a hostage situation in... Reportedly, the um, hostages ended up showing uh, love for the captors mm-hmm. and were sort of against the cops. And one reason I saw cited was because they felt like the cops were put them in more danger, like with their violent tactics that they thought were, were coming down upon them. Yeah. So that's what happened. They said Stockholm Syndrome. I read this write-up by the guy, um, a psychologist named Nils Bergerot. Uh, he was actually the... One of the hostage negotiators, the, a liaison for the police to these hostage takers at uh-huh. Credit Banken. Is that how you say it? What, the bank? Yeah, Credit Banken. Yeah, Credit okay. Banken. Um, so he was there, and they actually, he's usually credited with coining the term Stockholm Syndrome. Oh, yeah. Um, but he was saying, like, after talking with these guys, that they weren't insane, they weren't on drugs, they were like, like you said, career criminals. Yeah. And every move they made was to, like, benefit themselves or their situation. Right. It was beneath them to hurt these people to hurt their hostages mm-hmm. but they loved shooting at cops because they hated cops and they were not above threatening these hostages lives 
to the point where the hostages were taking it seriously. But yes, um, it seemed like the police were putting them in danger with these raids. Yeah, what surprised me was how quickly, like, the only reason Stockholm Syndrome makes sense to me is that when it takes place over, like, years. Like, this was a little weird to me. Okay, here's the thing. There's a great debate over whether, and by great debate, there people disagree, okay. over whether Stockholm Syndrome develops over a short, intense period oh. or a long, protracted period. So, like, in the case of, say, um, Natasha Kampusch, yeah, let's tell her story, I guess, real quick. Okay. She uh, was an Austrian girl who disappeared in 1998 on the way to school. Yeah. And she was kept in a 54-square-foot cellar with uh, soundproof with no windows by Wolfgang uh, Priklopel. Mm-hmm. And uh, told her the doors and windows were booby-trapped. You can't escape. Um, and they, like, how many years was this? Uh, she was held for t- for eight Eight years. years. Eight years, sorry. And they were, you know, they ended up, you know, she went on a ski vacation with them. Uh-huh. Um, uh, eventually was like let out of the basement during the day, had to go back at night always. Mm-hmm. And like would go to restaurants occasionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she eventually escaped when um, she was vacuuming and uh, he took a phone call, went in the other room and she left the vacuum running and bolted, which is pretty smart. Yeah. And when he found out, uh, she eventually made it to a neighbor's house and uh, went inside, and this old lady called the cops, and she's like, I'm this girl that's been missing all these years. And uh, eventually, um, he jumped in front of a train when he found out she got out, killed himself, and apparently she cried and like lit candles at the morgue where he was kept. Yeah. And also denied that she suffered from Stockholm Syndrome. Okay, so uh, can I give you another one? Yeah. Uh, J.C. Lee Duggard. Um, yeah, I remember that one well. Much more recent, much more familiar, I'm sure, to uh, those of us in the U.S., sure. especially those of us who pay attention to us weekly. Yeah. Um, but uh, she was held for 18 years. Yeah, man. She, um, her captor, uh, she assisted her captor with his home business. Captors. Captors. Um, with their home business. Yeah. Emailed customers, took phone calls from customers, greeted customers at the door by herself. Um, basically, it was a lot like uh, Natasha's story, where like she was like living out in plain sight with these people, yeah. and like had all these opportunities to like make a make a run for it, and like never did. Yeah, um, and, and he was a kidnapper. He was already <laughs> served time for kidnapping. Yeah, I believe so. Um, when she was finally uh, freed, she. Um, her, I guess her stepfather was explaining it to the press that she really had strong feelings for this guy and that, yeah. like, she thought of this as, like, a, a marriage, basically. Yeah. I mean, she was held captive for 18 years, right? So, on the one side, those are two really good examples of Stockholm Syndrome, to, like, coming to see your captor as your husband. Yeah. Or to cry and, like, you know, light candles at a morgue for your captor after he kills himself. Yeah. But then on the other side, there's like the, remember the TWA hijackers in 1985? Yeah. Um, somebody who was freed after that relatively short standoff, um, said that the, these were, um, they, they weren't bad people. Quote, the terrorists weren't bad people. They let me eat. They let me sleep. They gave me my life. Wow. And that was a really short, brief, intense encounter. And those are like kind of the, the different, sides of the whole thing so like which one 
if you become a member of your captor's family, right. is that Stockholm Syndrome or is it a slightly different animal? If you come to see your captors, your savior, simply because they're letting you live yeah. over like the course of like 24 hours while they're holding you, yeah. is, or is that Stockholm Syndrome? Which one's which? Because we have slightly different things going on, and they're both really uh, abnormal, psychologically speaking. Agreed. And I think it was... Uh the the girl in Austria said that, like on the plus side, I didn't drink or do drugs or smoke, and I didn't hang out with like bad kids. Right? Yeah. Because I was in a cellar. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, obviously we're not laughing at her, but it it was definitely a unique take on being held captive. Yeah. And one of the things too, like uh, I guess we'll eventually get to um, Patty Hearst, but in the case of these girls, they were like. You know, the one was 10 years old when she was originally kidnapped. Right. So, I mean, when you're 10, I think you would be much more susceptible to something like this over the course sure. of, like, your entire adolescence. Sure. Growing up as your teenage years like this, you you know, it makes sense to me a little bit that you accept it and see these people as your uh, protectors in right. a way. But that's the common thread, whether it's a short brief, intense period or 18 years of captivity, Right. the common thread is that Stockholm Syndrome, developing it, is seen as a survival strategy. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the factors involved, shall we? We shall. What traits must be present? Uh, the three traits are a severely uneven power uh, relationship, right. which makes sense. The captor is completely in charge of every facet of your life. When yeah. you eat, when you sleep, how you sleep, where you sleep, what you eat, what you drink. Yep. If you can shower or not, like everything. If you can talk. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you're like chained to a bed. Mm-hmm. Um, Threat uh, or uh, threat of death or physical injury, um, and a lot of times that includes like you know, rape and assault and severe beatings. There's another one like I'll talk about that in a second, but there's there's a disagreement about whether that can be present or not. Oh, really? Yeah. And then finally, uh, self-preservation instinct, which is what we were talking about. They yeah. they believe like the only way my butt's going to get out of here is if I uh, obey. Yeah, obey. And that's called a healthy ego is a, is a self-preservation instinct. Like your ego starts to take over and says, okay, um, we need to figure out how to stay alive here. Yeah. It puts we, the uh, lotion on the skin. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or else what? Uh, or else it gets the hose again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so the ego takes over because all other normal tactics available to any free human being to stay alive. Yeah. Grabbing a gun, calling the police, shouting, um, whatever, uh, are stripped from that person. Well, sure. And in the case of the um, Austrian girl, she was told things were booby-trapped, like windows and doors, and that he said he had a gun on him at all times. Mm -hmm. And when you're 10 and you grow up like this, like, how are you going to figure this out? You know, you're not watching TV. You're obviously not on the Internet. Like, yeah. for all she knew, things were booby-trapped. Yeah. And she's trying to live. 
Um, there's two other factors that usually have to be present, too, is the prisoner has to believe that escape is impossible, like you were saying, whether yeah. it's booby traps sure. or whatever, um, that there, there's just no escape. Right. There's no, there's no um, other thing to focus the mind on. Like, how, how can I dig my way out of here? It's yeah. totally focused on the captor being the means of escape or survival. Yeah. Um, and then the, uh, the prisoner also has to be isolated. So this one kind of like undermines the idea of somebody who's held captive in plain sight for 18 years. Right. Developing classic Stockholm syndrome. Right. Because if you, if you were totally isolated from the, uh, the outside world, other opinions of the captor are sequestered from you. Yeah. Same so, with cults. Yeah. So that lieutenant, if Denzel Washington out there, an inside man, and what he thinks of uh, Clive Owens right. is not coming through. Right. All you have is your um, your increasingly deranged mind um, to tell you what you think about Clive Owens. Right. You know? Uh, I'm going to add my own here, too. Okay. I think that part of it has to do with just... <clears throat> Humans desire to connect with another human. Oh yeah. And if all you've got is this one person, yep. and it's over the course of eight to eighteen years, yeah. that's going to take over at some point, and you're going to want to connect with this person. You know, I think you may have just hit upon the distinction between the two, uh, the sh- the short, intense period and huh. the long duration. Yeah, because think about it. Like you do, if you are just kept apart from everybody else, you do still have that need to connect with people. That's brilliant, Chuck. That may be the most brilliant thing you've said yet. My dinosaur is clapping. Yeah, (laughs) it's better than the um, cavemen melted (laughs) or Neanderthals melted. That's a good theory. Um, Okay, so we we know all of the stuff that has to be present, right? Basically, you're a hostage that is totally subject to uh, the whims of your captor. You think you're going to die. Um, you don't think there's any escape. You're sequestered away from other people. Um, and your captor likes to remind you that he or she is in charge. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about the stages. Uh, well, that is the first stage. Yeah. And I just went over it. Okay. Um, also threatening the family, like... Hey, you you love your little brother and your mom and your dad. Well, I can kill them very easily. Yeah, like if you try that. to escape. And if you're talking to a little ten year old girl, that's gonna you know do some serious damage. It has more effect than say on like a a forty year old single guy. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, yeah, or a married guy. Well, no, I don't know. You can still threaten a married guy's family, a family man's family. It's just yeah, but I think they would way. react like you know, like Harrison Ford would on Air Force One. Yeah, not, not cowering. They would be like, oh yeah. What was the famous line? You shouldn't test me. No, it was get off my plane. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> you shouldn't test me. That's pretty good, though. Thanks. I think that was in the initial script. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, of course, my line got revised. Very funny. Um, so time goes on, uh, and then what happens is the captor gets stressed out because I'm sure it's pretty stressful to keep someone captive uh-huh. like that. Yeah. So the captee... The kidnappee sees these wild mood swings, maybe, and maybe feels threatened by this. And in order to survive again, they feel like they have to learn the emotional patterns of this person. Right. And so what happens is they end up connecting by learning about this person. Right, yeah. By studying get, their behaviors. They get to know them in like that sense, right? Yeah. And that's like when 
they figure out that just obeying everything the person says is not enough. Right. Because the fuzz outside shooting tear gas into the bank vault is really starting to tick the, the hostage taker off. Yeah. And you can obey all day long, but the police are screwing things up. And I'll bet that's also about the time when that, um, that third step where you come to see, um, the outside world, the people who are yeah. trying to rescue you as harmful. Threat. Yeah. As a threat. Yeah. Um, so you get to know your captor, you're obeying, um, and then it comes this part where if you listen to the brainwash episode, this will make a lot of sense. Um, your captor displays some minor bit of kindness toward you. Yeah, this is the key, I think. And this is why they think possibly abuse can't be present. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because? Because it breaks down this very essential ingredient of kindness, or it can. Well, or if the abuse stops, they right. said sometimes just the lack of violence from a certain point yeah. is seen as like, will you do me a kindness? Okay. Quit beating and raping me. So I would I would agree with you on that one. Yeah. But for the most part, say it could be offering food. It could be something as simple as stopping abusing somebody. Yeah. Or just saying, I'm not going to kill you yet. Or I'm not just not killing that person yet. Right. And the the captor, um, no, the hostage, comes to see the captor as some sort of savior. Yeah. Because the captor not only can kill you because he's got your life in his hands, he's not killing you. Yeah. Which means he's protecting you. And now your brain just broke a little bit. Well, and and if they're the one bringing you your food and water yeah. and books and magazines, yeah. like they're essentially the one caring for you. Yeah. Because they're keeping you alive. And in the case of J.C. Lee Duggard, uh-huh. um, I think like on the very first day after she was like handcuffed and raped, the guy was started to tell her like amusing stories and things. I mean, this dude was seriously twisted. Wow. But um, and like would get her fast food and things like that. So like kind of right out of the gate, he would like do these little random acts of kindness, huh. which I'm sure just confused the hell out of her. Oh, yeah, I'll bet. Because she was pretty young when she was, I think she was 10. Eleven. There's nothing. Like, Can you imagine you could do to these people that would be as bad as what they did to those? No, those girls, no, know? it's absolutely true. Um, there's another woman whose name I don't recall who was kept in a box. Wow, under a bed. Helena. No, no, no. It was like for real for oh, years. Wow. Like she wasn't like allowed out or anything like that. Like she was kept in a box. Yeah. And it's like you you raise a pretty good point. What what can you possibly do to somebody who did that to someone else? I mean the do you think just desserts like eye for an eye? Yeah, well you put them in prison and they eventually get out or don't. I guess that's similar, but prison is although it has some of those hallmarks because the guards are in charge and can beat you up and sure. do a lot of stuff, you're still connected in some ways to the outside world and there's still a lot of independence that yeah. a prisoner would have that somebody like being held hostage like this stuff. Like it would probably be solitary confinement for the the duration yeah, of their sentence. So. Uh, the the old Quaker sentence, right? Is that what they're... Yeah, remember they're the ones who came up with solitary? Oh, yeah, that's right. So you could think about what you did? <laughs> so, um... The, the captor now has emerged as your savior. Yeah. And 
as a friend, kind of. And I think it's in the sense of, you know, when you go through something like really hardcore and intense and threatening with somebody. Oh, yeah. But it's not because of them. Mm-hmm. Like you can feel either tight with that person or you can feel like Homer and Mr. Burns getting trapped in that house during the avalanche. Like I never want to talk about it again. Yeah. You never want to see that weirdo again. Yeah. Right. That's true. Um, but this would be type A. But the, it's, you're identifying with your captor. Like you guys are going through this crazy intense thing together. Yeah. And you're throwing out the window the fact that the captor has started all this and has dragged you into it, put your life in jeopardy. And now you're friends with this person and you think that if you guys work together, you can get out of this mess and maybe like go, you know, live in Jamaica and hang out. (laughs) Well, and I'm sure that the captors at some point over the course of these years say things to reinforce that. Like, you know, what are we doing here? Like, what's going on? I've kept you in this thing and how, look at this mess we are in. You think? Oh, that's, I'm just surmising. <laughs> but yeah, I think. <laughs> but I think, well, like saying a bank robbery or something. Yeah. It's like you're, you, if you have classic Stockholm syndrome, you're saying like, you know, I, let me talk to the cops. I'll, I'll get us out of here. Like I'll tell them that like they, they got it all wrong or right. something like that. Yeah. That, that level of identifying with your captor is now you're just raised yourself to the, same level as the the bank robber as yeah. well, which I guess probably gives you a little bit of humanity. Yeah. True. So the prevalence of this stuff is definitely debatable. Um, there's an actual database, Chuck, called the um, Hostage Barricade Database System. And it's an FBI database. And it's 4,700 cases of people basically taking hostages. Wow. And surveying this, they found about 73% of hostages showed no signs whatsoever of Stockholm Syndrome. Are these kidnappings or hostages or both? <clears throat> I would say hostage taking, okay. I believe. Um, so that means 27% of people do show some affinity. That's pretty them. high. You would think so. But at the same time, you can also say, well, like some high percentage of hostage takings are domestic disputes. Right. Where, like, you know the person, so oh, you yeah. may already have an affinity for them. Yeah, that's true. And if they shoot themselves, then you immediately feel bad for that person, too. So we almost need a set of data just about, like, strangers taking strangers hostage. Exactly. That would give us a little probably bit. a better yeah. view of Stockholm Syndrome. That's true. Um, and I think I had a larger point, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Oh, I've got it. Oh, nice. Are you are you ready? Yeah. So, despite the the um a lot of law enforcement people poo-pooing the idea of Stockholm syndrome or its prevalence, yeah. they do think that there's something to it, and they actually hostage negotiators encourage the formation of Stockholm syndrome because it keeps the guys alive. Yes, because when you hit a certain point where you've got a classical Stockholm syndrome case going mm-hmm. on, but with with the cat, the hostages identifying with their captor as a friend, yeah, they may turn on the police, and it may make prosecution even down the road harder because the people may refuse to testify. But in the short term, it can help keep the hostages alive because the captor, in turn, will start to see the the hostages as human beings uh. because these are people who are coming at them like friends. So what's going on? And like, what's your first name? And gotcha. oh, you have kids? And now the idea of executing these people is f- much more removed. Interesting. So yeah, hostage negotiators will try to like get the whole Stockholm thing going. So now this can live in a suite with brainwashing, cults. Mm-hmm. Hostage negotiation. Yeah. 
and that's probably it. Right. Amazing. It is now a four podcast suite. It is. Where it was previously three. It is. But we're, we're not done yet. Uh, no, we're not. So I guess we should wrap up with uh, Patty Hearst. Yeah. Very famous case of Stockholm Syndrome. Um, <laughs> granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst, the newspaper magnate. Uh, was famously kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army in the 70s. Yeah. And uh, was reportedly abused and and, uh, brainwashed to a certain degree and ended up sort of joining them in a famous robbery. Yeah. She she turned into a bank robber. Like with the bray and the machine gun and the whole deal. Yeah. Everyone's seen the photo. Yeah. But then after she was freed, she publicly came out against the Sibionese Liberation Army right? Um, and opposed it, which is unusual for somebody with Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people thought maybe she was faking it, maybe she was making it up, but I think the consensus now is that she was, um, it was just a survival tactic. Yeah, but for, I remember many years though, when I was a little kid hearing about this, like, oh, some people thought she, like you said, she was, now she's tricking all us. She really did get into it. Right. And she's trying to save her bacon. Right. Because look at that photo with the machine gun yeah. and the beret. It's pretty yeah. convincing. Yeah. But uh, definitely interesting. And then... That's a Warhol, isn't it? Didn't he paint that? Oh, really? I think so. He painted a, that photo. And then he went on to... Uh, or she went on to <laughs> star in John Waters movies. Yeah. Oddly enough. Nice. Have you seen the thing on the, the video of uh, Werner Herzog like figuring out that John Waters is gay? No. It's pretty great. Really? He's talking to people, and you know, the accent is just what makes right. it so priceless about how, uh, you know, people are just people to me. I don't even think about gay or straight or something. And he's like, I was, I, I've known John Waters for like 20 something years, and I love him. And I said to my wife recently, I said, I think he might be gay. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone in the room just cracks up. I gotta check that. But he was just illustrating a point like, I just don't even see people like that. Yeah. It never dawned on me that John Waters was gay. Yeah. It's pretty funny. All right. That's all I got. That's good. If you want to learn more about Stockholm Syndrome, you can uh, type that word into, or those two words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it'll bring up this fine article. And I said search bar, so that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, Josh, I'm going to call this, uh, I'm a musketeer. (laughs) Yeah. Did you read this one? No, I missed that one. This is a good one. Uh, this guy, all right, I'll just read it. Um, Lauren McNett. Uh, my father and I are avid outdoorsmen and carry a flintlock muzzle loader whenever we can. Cool. Uh, we're also configured, uh, we've configured our flintlocks to be 20 gauge shotguns as well. Jeez. I know. Uh, we I go- would be so nervous <laughs> pulling the trigger. They know what we're, uh, they're doing though. Um, we go through the same process as the Minutemen. We load the powder charge, load the patch, load the ball. Charge the pan, cock the hammer. You gotta charge the pan. Pull the set trigger, and finally pull the main trigger. Uh, at which point, the flint and the hammer strikes the frizzin, showering the pan with sparks that ignites the black powder in the pan, which is adjacent to the touch hole. This guy's just showing off. Uh, that in turn ignites the powder charge, sending the 180 grain lead ball out of the barrel at about 1850 feet per second, which is faster than the speed of sound. Wow. Uh, there is a difference in that true muskets do not have rifled barrels where ours do because it increases accuracy. Uh, we've been hunting for many years, and we aren't anywhere near the speed of the Minutemen, which was three shots per minute. Um, we also don't have targets that fire back, obviously. But they hunt like this. 
Yeah. They hunt deer, turkey, bear, and ducks with flintlocks. And it's really challenging, and it takes careful consideration, special tools, and lots and lots of patience. Uh, 100-yard shots are possible, but we generally try to get within 40 yards uh, with the rifles and 20 yards with the shotguns. And he can confirm that inclement weather does take a toll on the ability to fire. Even on humid days, it can dampen the powder uh, so it will not ignite. And then he just goes on to point out that they are uh, responsible hunters. They typically only get one shot, so they do their best to ensure that it is the swiftest, cleanest harvest possible. And then they process the animals themselves. Oh, cool. And waste as little as possible as a way of honoring the animal and being respectful of nature. Sure. So, uh... That's Lauren McNett. P.S. Keep the powder dry. <laughs> they must have t-shirts to say that. Yeah. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, we did Except a, for the killing animals right. part, but I get, I get it. You're a hunter. We did a, uh, remember the, is knife hunting the fairest way to hunt episode? Oh, man, that's an old one. It is. But it was a good one. Remember, we ended up like talking about how if a boar comes at you and you have a knife and that's it yeah you're on pretty much equal footing yeah that's pretty fair but then uh, toward the end we started to go off on internet hunting you remember that oh yeah that was a great episode dig that up everybody is knife hunting the fairest way to hunt that's the only article i ever refused to write was the internet hunting yeah i was assigned that i was like i'm not gonna write about this yeah good for you and it went away because of that it did like the next day Internet hunting. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, no, but it has gone away about that time, though, Chuck. That right. You contributed to it. That's the month. Um, let's see. If you want to tell us about something, it can be anything. Anything at all. Oh, if you've ever had Stockholm Syndrome, how about that? Yeah, then I would feel very bad for you, but I would like to hear your story. For sure. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 